Hi, and welcome to Showcast. In this episode, we find out how a small team of creatives reimagined the talk show environment for Amazon Prime's Inside the Boys. Amazon Studios approached technical director Brandon Epperson for a COVID-safe workflow that could produce their nine-part TV series in just four weeks. Today, Brandon shares why he decided LED virtual production was the way to go. We're also joined by his good friends at Aggressive TV, Daniel Shapiro and Alex DePala, who directed the animated set design, opening credits and branding. The team chose Notch as their content creation tool for real-time reactive animations. Art director Federico Gonzalez also joins us on the line to share how his team at Tigger Labs created these set pieces in Notch. Join us as we discuss set extension, what virtual sets mean for the future of art departments, and always needing more time. I'm Kat Kemsley, and you're listening to The Notch Showcast. So hi, guys. Welcome to Showcast. Hello. Hey. Hey. Thanks for having us. Thank you. So it's great to have you all here on the podcast today uh, to talk about your creative process for Amazon Prime's Inside the Boys. Before we get into it, I'd like to get to know you all a bit better. So, Dan and Alex, I know that you guys started out in VFX. Um, can you tell me how you became aggressive directors? Yeah, exactly. I mean, honestly, Alex and I, we just became friends, you know, just friends hanging out basically and, you know, listening to metal and going out drinking and hanging out probably around like 2000 or so. And then we both had these like shared interests in like graphics and design and like animation and even web design at the time and everything like that. But then as we started freelancing as VFX artists, um, started out doing VFX for a bunch of videos, um, you know, for artists like The Roots and, you know, The Cure and The Hives and, and whatnot. Um, Alex and I just kind of had this idea of, you know, well, we're putting these videos together from green screen entirely. We're animating all of the backgrounds. We're doing all of it. How hard can it be to just go pick up a camera and go shoot? Exactly. And so then at that point, which was, God, that was almost uh, 15 years ago, maybe 16 years ago, we, you know, we went into directing music videos. We directed probably over 30 music videos uh, during the height of our music video career. We won a Grammy. We we're up for music video awards. And in 2010, 2011, we moved into directing and filming commercials. But, you know, still all of our work was very visual and very design driven, essentially. And do you reckon your knowledge of VFX has been an advantage working as directors in the industry. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the things that we realized early on, you know, there's, there's this tendency for people that do visual effects to want to become live action directors and they really want to do just live action. I think it comes from just being tired of like, sort of like rendering and doing things in 3D and modeling and sitting from the computer long hours. What we realized is that I think that's a mistake. So what we like to do is being able to mix as much as possible the techniques that we kind of know. And so we never want to get too far away from our roots, always being able to lean on the visual effects and the technology background that we kind of have. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, coming from visual effects, just even when we shoot, you know, we always kind of have the entire process in mind. And Federico, you're a creative director and partner at Tigger Labs, a Barcelona-based creative studio, which produces all sorts of projects. What's the driving force behind starting Tigger Labs? Actually, they, they, my, my two partners started first. They, they were more focused in, into museographic content. I arrived to Barcelona in 2011 and we started to work together for a couple of projects. And well, it happens that the Spanish economic crisis uh, hit and everything kind of collapsed and all the money for museums and stuff just fall off. 
So, but we keep going working with different stuff and about uh, working with different formats. And we made a, a program, actually a TV show with, uh, with projection mapping. And it was our first big project that uh, a lot of people knew or work about uh, mixing projection mapping with TV. And then we keep working with pressure mapping and then we start working also with Dana and Alex from Aggressive. So yeah, I mean, our studios is really hard to define because we do a lot of different stuff, but we do the, the stuff that we love to do. Do you think that perhaps the financial crisis factored into the multidisciplinary nature of your studio? Yeah, I mean, kind of. I mean, I'm, I'm from Latin America and I'm, I'm used to, to crisis and chaos and, and it's part of my nature, you know. So we always jump into different stuff and try to, to show different faces and masks. We just want to have fun and, and, and that's it and, and experiment and try different stuff. And I guess that makes Fede an ideal collaborator on a production as unusual as this. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, honestly, and that's something that, you know, just as, as Fede says, and we ourselves also, I mean, we're, we're kind of, we're really grateful to have that kind of multidisciplinary background and be, you know, kind of have our hands in all, in all techniques and all methods. And, you know, whether it's full animation or, you know, mixed, mixed animation or live, especially now. And I mean, the world is upside down. I mean, we've, it's, we're able to pivot quite nimbly, actually. And it's, we're fortunate to be able to do that. You know, it's a tough situation in the world right now. I think what, what the way we saw it and the way we tried to frame it for ourselves was there's just a ton of opportunity at the same time. Because when something so major happens, the cards get reshuffled and there is a, and there's a chance, uh, to, to take advantage of that. And, and there's a ton of new technologies that are emerging. The industry is changing dramatically and quickly. And, uh, you know, some, some things come to the forefront and some things die, uh, you know, a slow and painful death, basically. And I think if you're, and I think if you're smart and you can, and you can take advantage of all the new things that are coming up to the surface, then you can get ahead and then you can, you can achieve and build, you know, bigger and more interesting things. And I think we've been extremely lucky. So that's, that's, that's our feeling as far as XR goes. That's our feeling goes as far as like the global pipeline and working with people from all around the world and uh, even shooting remotely. I mean, you know, we've been, we've, been, we've been shooting all around the world since the pandemic started by utilizing a variety of tools that nobody would even consider for shooting about a year ago. Yeah, exactly. And last but not least, Brandon, how did you end up the technical wizard you are today? Uh, sure. It's, uh, it's kind of a funny winding road, but, um, I actually started as a musician. Um, I went to music school to be like a symphony player. Uh, then I was in a Broadway show for about seven years and it was actually because of the Broadway show situation. I just was looking around me a lot. You know, I was a stage performer, but I was fascinated by like the large scale tech and how the productions were built and all the cool toys uh, with the lighting and the sound guys. So, you know, on the days where my swing would be in for me, I would always sit out at the front of house desk or sit with the lighting guy and try to learn a lot of stuff. And I honestly, at the end of that kind of time in my life, I, uh, it's funny, but I, I came to a point where I realized, uh, you know, being a ballet dancing trombone player, uh, the absolute maximum salary that I would really make in this world was, you know, just at a certain point where I was like, okay, that's a bit of a cap that I'd like to go beyond that. Um, also, I wanted to be able to design and build shows where I could hire all my friends. I, ha I literally have this huge community of music and dance and all, you know, a variety of other artists that I knew. And I felt like that was like a huge resource. And I love just working with my friends. And I still do that a lot. Uh, 
So I, I went into production and um, I actually was lucky. I, I was treated very well um, by the local one, the state change union in New York. And um, I had a lot of love for them. They had a lot of love for me because I, you know, because uh, I had said to them, Hey, I want to learn how to build shows, but then, you know, come back and design stuff with my friends and, um, and have a good relationship, you know, with all the people that build these shows. So they actually threw me into that union labor pool. And I, I did what I call my local one grad school, where after music school, I actually just became a stagehand for like six years. And all I did was just, you know, 200 different productions a year in New York, two or three days on any, you know, anywhere from one day to a few days. And you're just constantly bouncing around. One day I'm doing lights for one thing. Another day I'm climbing trust for someone. And, you know, so um, it was actually just a, a very organic kind of progression where I started to get into video and lighting software. Okay, so let's get into it. I know the timeline was tight on this production. How much time did you actually have to work with? I believe the pre-production was about uh, two, two, three weeks. About it was, it was really a very fast. Um, it was a very fast lead up to the shoot itself. Exactly. I think there was a conversation originally, originally saying like, "Hey, maybe we can do this with a green screen or something like that," which we said, "Like, absolutely not. It's nine, nine episodes, thirty minutes each." And so that seemed like a, an impossible task, at least for the time frame, given how fast the show needed to be released. And then there was conversation saying like, well, well, what if it's like a green screen that's sort of like being like, you know, like replaced, you know, live in real time. And that also sounded like it's not going to look good. And so I think that's suddenly this, this idea of utilizing um, LED screens and, yeah. and notch and, and going this, the six arm uh, route was born, but it all happened really, really fast. I mean, we had like about, I think two and a half weeks to put it all together. Yeah, it was, it was very fast. I mean, we were putting together the, the show package and the opening CG, uh, the CG opener simultaneously together with, with Federico and, and his teams, you know, we're able to create style frames and talk about, and like, you know, pass art, art direction references and pass our CG props back and forth to the client. And we can all kind of review things and then build these environments. And again, because it's real time, that iteration process happens really quite fluidly where, you know, once you kind of see it and it looks good, it's quite close to being deployed. So you're not like, you don't have this like lengthy, like rendering and compositing process at the end of the game. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, we had, we had the same experience with, with Belly Shiki's concert that, 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 that we just put together and it was very, very fast. We had about two weeks to put it all from start to finish. Which, you know, sometimes is good because you don't get as many notes from the clients because everybody's so scared. And so they're, they're just happy to get something. There. Yeah. <laughs> but like even here, you know, it's kind of interesting because, you know, on set, if you, I mean, if you look at the, if you watch the show or if you look at any of the images from the show, I mean, the only thing that was practical is Aisha, uh, Tyler and her, the chair that she's sitting on. I mean, there's literally nothing else there with her. It's just an LED stage. At some point, we even talked about like, well, should we put in this like large bar piece in there or should we put in any other props? But honestly, with the restrictions of COVID, it, even just handling that would have stretched us beyond the, the ability to do it um, with the amount of people we needed. So it, it's it's really kind of amazing what you can put together with this technique. Yeah, I'd love to paint a picture of the scene that you created for Inside the Boys. So the set is built from at least 70 different assets and each asset has been adapted to make it bespoke to the boys and a lot of care and thought has really gone into building the world of the boys into the virtual set design here so when you were creating the looks um, how much research did you have to put into finding the right scenic elements like were you speaking with the boys art director or were you working with what you'd seen from the show 
We were, well, the show itself wasn't, the, the actual episodes were not yet released. So, you know, working together with the showrunner, um, actually Eric Kripke of the, of the boys and his team at Amazon, you know, we got set photos. Uh, we got these like Theta 360, uh, image references from the set itself. Yeah. I mean, we, we receive, we receive like, 200 by 200 uh, pixels image about different super secret stuff and Easter eggs. So we have to reinterpretate that. We, we find different models. I mean, we didn't have any time to model anything. So we have to buy a lot of models, try to clean the geometry and mix it together and, and, and pray big to, to make the UVs and all the texture work. So actually that was a lot of work. Um, but, but it was super fun and, and, I mean, the, 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 this process of make everything old and dirty and, and vandalize it, it was pretty fun. It was, it was a really nice, uh, actually, I, I made one, one more graffiti that says uh, aggressive TV and Tigre Love and it was hidden in, in some of the objects. So I mean, it's <laughs> process. That's really what separated this show too. I, I have. You know, a lot of people since we done uh, did the show that have asked us about other projects and things. And, you know, that work that they did where they, they took so many source assets and really made the world just so highly custom where, you know, even though they weren't able to model everything, they still touched everything. And, and that was the real the difference between, say, watching that and any kind of like XR award show or any there was just a whole nother level of design of all the individual little things. Exactly. And that kind of like handcrafted touch and the hand drawn graffiti and really texturing things and giving the love to that and like really like tweaking out just the organic qualities of this virtual set, I think, is, is really what made it um, what made it kind of special. And is that kind of your texturing all these objects? Is that something that you're doing in Substance Designer? Yeah, it was, it was made in substance. I mean, we actually, we, we show, we show, I mean, in, in the basement, there are 70 different models, but I mean, we play with a goal more than hundred, you know, we do a lot of different stuff and uh, tweaking and, and playing with them, uh, finding out that maybe there was a problem with some of the models. So we have to replace it. And, and yeah, I mean, working with, with the textures and stuff is, is something that make it special. And using the same number of real life props would have required a massive art department and props team and budgets. So creating this digitally, did you feel liberated from these constraints? Well, I know just for the, the bar in particular, I actually tried to get a real bar. Uh, and I fought that battle for probably two weeks. Um, and, and because of quarantine, you literally, you just couldn't, they, they simply said, uh, no, you can't have any props because it means we have to have these three other people on set, which, which means you in turn lose like two LED people. And so it, it just, there was a maximum body count, you know, of what, who could be there. So yeah, we simply couldn't. What was the body count? Um, it depended on which area, but for load in, I mean, I put that whole stage together with six people. Wow. And, uh, yeah, ten, no more than 10 at a time in the room. And then when the host is there, we had a clear, like a 50 foot radius where no one was allowed while she didn't have a mask on and, and things like that. So, um, yeah, you just simply couldn't have <laughs> props and furniture. Yeah. We showed, uh, we showed this project to one of our production designers that we work with a lot. And he said, Oh, uh, when we said, you know, we, 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 we call it set mapping. And he said, I call it no more art department. <laughs> 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 no, I think to that point, one of the things that, that that's exciting about this is, I mean, here we, yeah, is that 
working in practical props into these kind of like LED sets is is actually you know something that we we would love to to do more. You know, being able to mix these like physical and virtual assets is 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 really quite fun. So that's something that. So that's something in the future that you see being able to expand that world and make it a lot more like mixed medium, combining physical props and LED screens once the body counts allowed to kind of grow on set. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think, you know, like, like taking the, the Alicia Keys example from two weeks ago, we were able to build a couple of set pieces for that. And it was really exciting to see how we can integrate some of the virtual elements and then have them be mirrored with some practical elements that we have on set and the way they interact. And I think, you know, moving into the future, I think the more we can mix the, the digital and the practical worlds together, I think that's where it's going to get really exciting. Yeah. I, I, even before the, this Amazon show happened, I, I actually ended up sending a lot of examples to people of just AR, like from news and things. And it, it was kind of funny. I feel like a lot of people just forgot that we had already been doing this, you know, like before quarantine. And a lot of times it was actually um, less holodeck and more just straight up augmented reality being placed into a physical studio. Um, and I'm actually excited to get out of the holodeck world and go to a more mixed world, actually, because I feel like the holodeck thing you know, it's it's awesome and it and it's cool for this time too. But um yeah, I'm excited about going more mixed. Once you got on set, um, when it came to changes being made to the scene, how reactive could you be to that? Were there a lot of changes that were requested by the um wider production team whilst you were there? Uh, no, there weren't uh, a ton. Honestly, it was just very practical things. Uh, I still had Federico, uh, you know, on standby, but we, it, it kind of worked out well because our time zones being, you know, roughly 12 hours apart or whatever. So I, you know, it was cool because like I could be working while I was awake. And then when I needed to crash, like he was able to work on things if they needed to be done. Uh, but no, honestly, on site, you know, I did those edits and, there was two things about it. One, the world was so complex in the end that to compile the actual server block took about, I don't know, maybe 10 minutes or something. Like it wasn't like a fast thing where I could just kind of swap in and out really quickly. Just, um, but, uh, it was still, you know, really all I needed to give myself a lot of times were either transform handles or, Oh, hey, when we really look at this shot, just that light over there, just the placement ends up kind of funny because of the lensing perspective or whatever. Hey, just take that light and move it. Um, so there was not anything like really heavy lifting that I had to do on site uh, design wise. It was really just simple transforms and turn off and on and that kind of thing. Maybe expose a control to myself or something like that. You were able to create custom depth of field and dynamic lighting effects using the LED tiles. Can you share how you achieved this? Uh, well, yeah, that's, I mean, that's a mixture of both, um, Federico's process of giving, you know, grouping lights together in the scene that, that need to be grouped for certain effects and just giving me good controls. I was able to ask them, Hey, I need like general room lighting. And then I also need these like Easter egg effects, all controllable. And honestly, the blend of notch and touch designer makes that, um, quite powerful and also easy. Uh, because once, once uh, Federico would group the right things together and just hand me like a single control, then all of the behavioral logic goodness that's inside Touch Designer um, and the way it interacts with different control streams and things like that um, can become really powerful. But yeah, I was definitely standing on the shoulders of the work they had done of how to group the lighting in the scene and how to make the scene lighting just manipulable, you know, easily. 
So with the lighting as well, so you're also linking the on-set lighting fixtures and sky panels to the notch scenes so that you could light the, the talent dynamically. How, how did this work out? What was your dynamic with the gaffer? I mean, that was a fun, it, it was actually less automated than what you could do if you were, say, just doing an LED ceiling or something like that, that was just mapping a sky field. It was a little bit of a blend, but um, yeah, the gaffer that was there is uh, there are people I've known for a long time, and and it was a nice blend. Uh, we were both driving some things by hand, but we were also sharing. Fee- I was literally receiving DMX and sending DMX, but it wasn't like a traditional just like channel fixture thing. It was more um, color data and actually like range data, like like master cap type stuff. Because the thing is, too, I, I don't find that like any one part of the workflow can really achieve everything, right? Like I wouldn't want, and this is extremely important with music artists, but like if they just decide to start walking around the set somewhere you haven't totally planned, I want the lighting desk guy to be able to say, oh, she's over there, you know, and kind of start to bring up a different zone. And and I had a really strong lighting team um, on Amazon that I could really trust for that. Um, so yeah, it was, it was less automated than you might think actually. Um, but it was very coordinated We're you know, we had candle effects and we had, um, you know, some of these flashing moments or the laser baby and, you know, the types of things that would happen. And we were definitely, you know, shifting colors around and doing flickers and things like that inside the lighting world. But, but we're doing a fair amount of that by hand to keep it, uh, somewhat flexible. And what about the larger team on site? What was their experience with virtual production? Was there any difficulty finding the right language or terminology to use on set? No, not really. I mean, it, it, I wouldn't say it was tremendously different than a normal shoot as far as the flow. So we we approached it like a live television show and the camera team and people that I brought in were all live TV type people. It was fun to just let people that had not experienced that just kind of play with the jib. Um, once I got it all lined and then you just feel like, hey, you know, fly around the jib, check this out. And uh, there was a really fun day there during load in where there was a lot of just like oohs and ahs and you know, oh my god, this is so crazy! And I was actually just loading up all kinds of random stuff that didn't have to do with the show, um, just to play with that day. And um, so, you know, that was fun uh, and different. But no, I wouldn't say virtual production really threw anybody any real weird curves. Nice. And then, when it comes to cameras and lenses, are you able to use any physical lens on your camera, or does it need to be like a specific lens that logs? You know, the calibration process, the, the question there is really just like how much load in time do you have and uh, which type of hardware do you use? Um, both Stipe and Mosis, you know, you can use any camera you want, but you just need time to really do the lens calibration. And honestly, the the real home runs of XR uh, are the ones where they just get enough time to really do that lens calibration. And it honestly takes like half a day to a day per lens if you really do it right. Uh, I'm excited to actually get a project where we can just pick whatever cameras and lenses we want. And I have like a proper couple of days to like do all the lens distortions. Because one of the things I learned on this is, um, you know, lensing and field of view and all those things, it's certainly not linear. Uh, when you set limits of like, here's where I am, push all the way in and all the way back out. And then you just check it like it's not accurate in the middle. And for every lens um, and every really every situation, every stage there is a bit of both kind of geometry world distortion from the glass as well as, you know, those slight differences between your physical world and the virtual world and and all that stuff of trying to get it to where you don't have to think about it anymore and you can just kind of continue on. That really takes some time. And it is and it's also like the 
the real craftsmanship part of this workflow when it comes to a technical sense is like really getting your lens calibration right. Um, and yeah, it's, uh, but no, uh, to answer your question uh, briefly, no, you, we can actually use any lens or any camera we want. It's just a matter of time. That's, that's right. I mean, I think if, 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 if our potential clients are listening to this, if they could give us more than two or three weeks next time, we'd really appreciate it <laughs> because essentially that it's, it's a situation we're into in every single project. You know, we wanted to use some particular lenses for, um, for the Alicia Keys concert. And at the end of the day, we just had to kind of settle on something that was already calibrated just because we were, we did not have enough time to go through the calibration process. But yeah, if you give us more than two weeks, please, we can do whatever. <laughs> that is not going to happen, Alex. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I got a request yesterday to shoot an XR thing, uh, on the 15th and they wanted three worlds in seven days. Oh, wow. wow. And I was like, uh, I don't know that that can. <laughs> Well, maybe one world is white. Maybe one world is black. Yeah, I said the same thing. Um, how many cameras were you working with on Inside the Boys? Uh, that was, uh, well, just two. I mean, we had two fully tracked situations. Um, yeah, we didn't even add a third camera in the end. I mean, honestly, for me in XR, like your jib is 80% of your show. And then the other shots uh, is just really depending on content. Unless you have like a big mandalorian scale movie stage where i don't really see how more than two to three cameras is even useful on one of these stages so you came up with quite a clever way of bringing all the guests together to make it feel like they were part of a conversation with host aisha tyler and it feels like a regular talk show where they're all in the room together with the host how did you come up with this solution I guess like the set had to be flexible enough to be able to accommodate one speaker, two speaker, uh, two guests, uh, three guests, four guests. Um, so we were trying to think of what kind of a device could, um, you know, what kind of a framework could we put them in that Brandon will have the flexibility on, on the day to work with. So it, together we all kind of came up with this idea that maybe that maybe there's this like multi-panel, uh, multi-panel setup using these windows that are inspired from the design of the actual physical set that could open and close beside Aisha. So, and then each one of those panels was kind of, it was, it was key to a control that could raise them and lower them as the, as the guests were brought in. Yeah. I remember a part of that early process where we had uh, a bunch of different options and different placements around the set. And I, I remember a point where I was like, okay, Again, the zone defense thing. I was like, we don't know what's going to happen. Uh, and sometimes like feeds might not be up or whatever. And I remember saying, I need something where no matter how many people I have, even if it's one person, if it's five people, this thing can exist. And I remember when you, you guys came back with essentially the bar plus the TV and it was like, ding, ding, ding. <laughs> it's like, that's what we need. And one of the other little aspects of this is that, you know, these guys are dialing in from all around the world and, you know, Federico, and team created these practical backgrounds, actually using textures and designs from our CG set. And we actually printed them out physically and shipped them to everyone. So everyone, you know, even if you look in these in these guest backgrounds, they've all got kind of this, you know, this aesthetic that's inspired by our CG set. Oh, yeah. I was curious to know how those worked out. Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. So many layers to, to how this comes together. And it's kind of interesting as well that you've got a digital... TV screen where your guests are dialing into, which is like an animation on a massive LED screen as well, which is like a, a level of inception. Yeah. And I think that here's, here's also where this, you know, this kind of XR LED set mapping approach really shines, especially for something like a talk show is that Aisha Tyler could actually see these guests live and she can actually make a real connection with these people as she's talking to them and her line of sight is correct. 
And, you know, they can actually kind of like everyone can kind of see one another in, in the moment, as opposed to, for example, if she was on a green screen. So it's one of the, it's one of the ways in which, you know, this LED approach really, really worked for this, uh, this format. What I found quite interesting about other virtual productions that have been produced recently is that a lot of them are working with game dev teams. So it's people whose background is in developing games or developing visuals and animations for games. But what I found really interesting about your team is that you've actually got very much like a live events or projection and animation background. Do you think that's kind of made it the process easier in terms of being able to communicate your vision? I, I think I think that's it's yeah, it's kind of an interesting point because like I guess, yeah, we're, I mean, we're coming at it to be able to, you know, to communicate a creative vision, to create an, an experience, to create this kind of, you know, whereas a lot of, I guess a lot of like what's coming from game engines and, you know, they're, you know, you create an environment, you create like certain effects or whatnot, but I guess we're really trying to tell the story and like, you know, in this kind of conceptual environment. And I think, yeah, all of us having this kind of background of animation and events and TV production and commercial production is, it's kind of fun to be able to, to dive into this technique from that angle. As opposed I mean, to just creating environments. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I mean, I think I think what's 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 kind of unique about all the people on on this call is the fact that we all come from production, and we really have the mixture of all the disciplines that would be required to 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 make this, you know, the best possible at this at this point, uh, because we have every single discipline covered, uh, from film to visual effects to design to uh, the te technology behind it all. Um, you know, we're not we're not getting into this from sort of like a side industry. We're we're essentially bringing all the experience that you'd, you'd need to make this uh, to make this possible. So it's 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 really cool. I mean, I think I think we have something very very special here. I'd like to ask you because there's obviously a, a, a various tools that you can use for a virtual production. Why not? Eighty percent or whatever, roughly, of the virtual productions going on right now are actually Unreal. And a lot of them in the beginning were um, also just green screen Unreal was like, that's what everybody was doing because all your camera ISOs are good all the time. And it's just easy, you know, uh, in some ways. But I know for me personally, uh, I think one of the strongest things about Notch as a designer is that there's a lot of XR stages that are being built that are turnkey at this point because it costs so much money to just build one from scratch. Is if I can build a Notch world and then walk into an existing stage with literally nothing but a thumb drive, loaded up, have tracked cameras and everything ready to go. That's huge. And and you actually can't do that currently with Unreal anywhere. And I think one of the things that, that, that Notch was really terrific with, both on this Inside the Boys and as well um, with this Alicia Keys concert that we that we just did, was it's that kind of like sandbox quality to it. It's it's the fact that you can kind of create these environments and create these kinds of looks and these and create and like give the control over the lights, over like, you know, colors, over really whatever parameters you need or group, you know, or create these animation sequences that you can kind of bring in and out. And it gives you a lot of versatility on the day of the shoot to you know, be able to kind of like play, to be able to perform it, to be able to like add this like live spontaneous quality to the performance that goes beyond simply having a nice environment. You know, you can be reactive to that kind of magic that happens on set. And I think that's something that Notch really works quite well with. If you see the, the, the actual files and all the roots that you have in this, in this The Voice uh, project, it was crazy, you know, it's, it's, it looked like a sequoia tree full of notes and stuff. But actually, when you start working with it notch, you, after, I don't know, 30 minutes or something, you start to understand how is the work, how, how the file works. So, for example, for, for Alicia Keys, we, we were not allowed to go to, to shoot with aggressive guys. 
but they find a, a, an artist there and, and, and he was helping us to work with the file and we could work remotely with that. So I think it's, it's really flexible and, and it's really fast and powerful to create this stuff. And easier to collaborate, I guess, by the sound yeah. of it. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's definitely more like creative, uh, just like playful style artists, I feel like, in the Notch world than in the other game engine worlds, Unity or Unreal or whatever. If you guys were to do this production again, what would you do differently? You know, if we were to do this production again, I think the one thing we would hopefully have differently is just we would have a little more time on the lead up to start with that could, uh, you know, just let us put a little more of that, of that care just into, you know, everything from the, the, the creative development to the calibration and just the tech, some of the technical things that just need to be set up on the front of it. And I think the other thing that could be really interesting, you know, moving forward is like we already said, we'd be able to play with some more practical set pieces in some areas and see how practical set pieces can interact with the virtual ones, creating more of this complicated environment where you're not even sure what's virtual, what's real, and the way those things interact together. And I think in that regard, it's almost like the sky's the limit because you can imagine doing some very complex and exciting things. I, I will say too, I'm not really a fan. And, you know, as we've discussed as a group in the past, uh, I think I'm on the same page with Alexander Frederico. We're not really that much of a fan of, of extended worlds of actually shooting outside the LED. So another thing I would say next production, I would just want taller LED and just bigger LED stage. So I'd just never have to shoot outside of it. That's that, yeah, that's, that's absolutely true. And I think it bothers people that don't come from production less, but to us, it bothers us dramatically because it limits a lot of things that we can do. So once we add set extensions in AR, that puts a very rigid system and uh, locks us down dramatically from many perspectives, especially when it comes to uh, color grading, uh, you know, matching the colors and, uh, it just takes away a lot of the control. So basically, you know, we'd always want to build bigger and bigger LED sets instead of trying to like dump some kind of a CG layer on top of everything, I think in many cases. For me, I, I think this is the same about timing. And I will love maybe wait with Dan and Alex and Brandon. Also adding more practical stuff, placing transparent stuff in, in between the LED and the camera. Also playing with fog and smoke and also um, mixing more technology and, um, and creating more crazy stuff. I don't know, placing... LED stripes inside of the, on the set and, and synchronize it with the virtual ones. I don't know. Adding lasers, adding everything. I mean, I really think I want this is to mix more and more devices and, and create more crazy stuff. And at some point, we also need to figure out how do we add shadows. So, that- <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm really excited about, um, some of these like volumetric depth field tracking systems are going to integrate with it eventually. So we will actually be able to know, okay, that person is this big and this is the shadow they would cast and actually drive that. You know, that's taking, you know, another layer of like what Federico is talking about, just another resource that we have for like depth field and just trying to get it into the workflow. So, so things can just be higher resolution, essentially. Right now we just kind of have transform and tilt pan yaw and zoom and focus and all those things, but it'll be really cool once we can have that plus like depth volume and things like that. And what advice would you guys give to someone going into their first virtual production? Don't shoot outside the LED. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, I think leave yourself enough sort of like steps that you can always fix things on the fly and don't, don't go so complicated that you might shoot yourself in the leg by doing so. Yeah. And, and as well, also just in terms of lighting, you know, use lighting to your advantage. Like, and if, if anything, you know, you can show less, 
but show it purposefully as opposed to like making it like very bright or overcomplicated or anything like that. I mean, you can, you can achieve like great effects just with kind of, you know, simpler methods if you're, if you're creative about it. Yeah. I would also say focus on depth. You know, that's one of those things you can do very simple things that create depth. And that's really the magic of the whole system, parallax and depth. And um, what do you guys got coming up on the horizon? I mean, as far as what's coming next, I mean, you know, we're, we're, we're already in talks for other projects that are kind of coming up that, that we can kind of like push this, this whole like XR LED technique further. Exactly. I mean, yeah, it's, it's extremely exciting. I mean, I think yesterday an article came out in Forbes where Alicia Keys was saying that she thinks that this performance that she did was one of her best performances ever and that she'd love to do it more. And so we're, we're hearing from uh, American Express wanting to do more XR shows with other artists. I don't know. I think we're just really, really excited about like the next, the next one. I just like to say thank you so much for your time at sharing your workflow and your experience for this production. Um, yeah, it's been brilliant. Thank you so much, everyone. Yeah, thank you. Likewise, it's, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank yeah, you. no problem. It was fun. Hey, thank you. That's all from me for season three of The Notch Showcast. Thanks to all the guests that have shared their design stories with us so far and to those out there listening. If you've got a project that you'd like to talk about, or if you just want to let us know what you thought of the pod, then hit us up on socials at Notch VFX. You can watch Inside the Boys on Amazon Prime now. And as always, you can read a synopsis of today's show at notch.one forward slash showcase. See more from Dan and Alex at www.aggressive.tv and follow them on Twitter and Instagram at Aggressive TV. More from Brandon on Instagram at piewolf or www.brandonepperson.com. And to see more from Federico and Tigger Labs, that's tigalab.com and at Tigger Lab on Insta and Facebook. Thanks for listening and catch you next time.